You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. It seems that Fancy Bear may be interested in log for shell after all. CISA issues Emergency Directive 22-02, which addresses log for j Huawei's reputation as a security risk may be traceable to a 2012 incident. Tropic Trooper is back and interested in transportation. Meta kicks out seven cyber mercenary surveillance outfits. Pseudo-manuscript looks curiously indiscriminate. Johannes Ulrich from the Sands Technology Institute on making the great Chinese firewall work for you. Our guest is Terry Halverson from IBM on next-gen cybersecurity efforts to fix the cybersecurity inequity. And the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom is reportedly hacked. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, December 17th, 2021. One of the mysteries about Log4Shell so far has been the relative absence of Russian exploitation, whether by privateers or intelligence services. To review the bidding, given the extensive activity observed on the part of China, North Korea, Iran, and Turkey, where have the Russian threat actors been? BGR noted that the usual Russian operators seem to have been quiet so far, Mandiant, in its own rundown of cyber espionage taking advantage of Log4J vulnerabilities, sensibly said, quote, We expect threat actors from additional countries will exploit it shortly if they haven't already. In some cases, state-sponsored threat actors will work from a list of prioritized targets that existed long before this vulnerability was known. In other cases, they may conduct broad exploitation and then conduct further post-exploitation activities of targets as they are tasked to do so, End quote. There are signs now that Fancy Bear, Russia's GRU, has been actively exploiting Log4J vulnerabilities. Security Scorecard just this morning reported that it's observed Drovarube activity and use of the Drovarube toolkit points to Fancy Bear, APT-28, Russia's GRU military intelligence service. Drovarube, which means woodcutter, is a toolkit developed by the GRU's 85th Main Special Services Center for use against Linux systems. Drovarube has been described as a kind of attacker's Swiss Army knife with multiple uses, and that activity has been extensive. Security Scorecard regards Russian reconnaissance, probing, and probable exploitation 
as comparable in scale to what's been observed from China. More developments can be expected, the researchers write. Quote, It's important to remember that we are still in the very early days of trying to understand the security issue and how it's being used by threat actors. End quote. There may be reason to think that self-propagating worms are under development to take advantage of Log4j bugs. Researcher Greg Linares believes at least three groups are working on a Log4j worm. Security Week, which cites Linares, also quotes other researchers who think the news of a coming worm is unproven at least, unlikely at best, or probably likely to lead to worms less serious than some of the high-profile cases observed earlier this century. Log4j is from Apache's open-source library, and some have asked if the vulnerability exposed as Log4Shell should call into question the very idea of using open-source software. The short answer would be, according to some, not at all. IT World Canada has a useful discussion of the issue, in which they point out that the Open Source Security Foundation is well-funded, backed by deep-pocketed tech firms, and that securing open-source software is not a hobbyist's labor of love. MIT Technology Review takes a contrary view, arguing that the security of open-source software is indeed overlooked and underfunded. Their article quotes Veracode's CTO, Chris Weisapal, who says, quote, The open-source ecosystem is up there in importance to critical infrastructure with Linux, Windows, and the fundamental Internet protocols. These are the top systemic risks to the Internet, end quote. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency this morning issued Emergency Directive 22-02, directing the U.S. federal agencies that fall within its remit to identify and update all vulnerable systems no later than 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on December 23rd. CISA gives the agencies until December 28th to report completion. A coda to the required actions suggests the complex challenge of addressing complex environments. Quote, These required actions apply to agency applications in any information system, including an information system used or operated by another entity on behalf of an agency that collects, processes, stores, transmits, disseminates, or otherwise maintains agency information, i.e. all applications in agency ATO boundaries. For federal information systems hosted in third-party environments, such as cloud, each agency is responsible for maintaining an inventory of its information systems hosted in those environments, FedRAMP authorized or otherwise, conducting all necessary reporting to CISA accounting for such systems, and working with service providers directly for status updates pertaining to and to ensure compliance with this directive. End quote. Vendors are working to patch their products against Log4Shell, and it's proving to involve the struggle most observers have foreseen, Reuters reports. As the patches are issued, they should, of course, be applied when practical. And if you're a Fed, applied by Christmas Eve, lest ye face the wrath of Director Easterly, which would be like a visit from the ghost of Christmas yet to come. CyberWire's continuing coverage of Log4Shell can be found on our website. Bloomberg reports that U.S. reservations about Huawei as a security threat have been confirmed by revelation of a 2012 incident in which Australian security authorities traced a malware infestation to a malicious Huawei update. Bloomberg writes, quote, 
The incident substantiated suspicions in both countries that China used Huawei equipment as a conduit for espionage, and it has remained a core part of a case they've built against the Chinese company, even as the breach's existence has never been made public, the former officials said, end quote. Australian security services determined that a Huawei software update installed on the network of a major Australian telecommunications company contained malicious code that recorded data transiting the network and sent its take back to China. The malware was self-limiting, apparently in hope of evading detection. It deleted itself after several days of persistence in the network. The Australians shared their discovery with their American counterparts— who then detected a similar attempt against a U.S. network. The incidents had not been formally disclosed, but they provide a clear motivation for the strong suspicion of Huawei that's marked both U.S. and Australian policy over the past decade, especially with respect to allowing that company a place in 5G infrastructure. Tropic Trooper is back, and as security firms Trend Micro and Kaspersky write, The threat group has a new name and a new target set. It's now also being called Earth Centaur, and it's resurfaced to go after targets in the transportation sector. MITRE assesses Tropic Trooper as an unaffiliated threat group that is probably a hired gun, but notes that its favorite targets have been in Taiwan, Hong Kong, and the Philippines. It's been associated with Pirate Panda, which suggests that its customers are probably in Beijing. Facebook parent Meta has banned six commercial surveillance firms and one unidentified entity, all of whom it characterizes as cyber mercenaries, from its platforms. The companies affected include Cobwebs Technologies, Black Cube, Cognite, and Blue Hawk CI, all based in Israel, India's Beltrox, Cytrox of North Macedonia, and one unidentified entity operating from China. Up to 50,000 users may have been affected by the banned company's products. The University of Toronto's Citizen Lab has called out Cytrox and its Predator tool as worthy of special attention. Predator was installed, they find, on the phones of at least two Egyptian dissidents. Kaspersky has identified a mass spyware campaign they're calling Pseudo-Manuscript, because of the features it shares with the Lazarus Group's manuscript malware. But attribution is unclear. Pseudo-manuscript is indiscriminate in un-Lazarus-like ways, and it's been seen to use a data exfiltration mechanism hitherto associated with China's APT-41, known both for cyber espionage and a financially motivated APT side hustle. It's also been distributed in some cases by the Glubtiba botnet, a Russian tool. About 35,000 systems have been attacked, with most targets being either governments or industrial control systems. Security firm Avast reports finding a targeted attack by an unknown threat actor using a backdoor in what the security firm identifies only as a small, lesser-known U.S. federal government commission associated with international rights. Ars Technica says the victim is the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. The commission hasn't, Avast says, responded to its disclosures or attempts to engage it, and so little is known about how effective the attack was. But the researchers think it's reasonable to conclude that the attackers were able to intercept and possibly exfiltrate all local network traffic in the organization. It looks like an espionage operation— 
An intelligence service might find the commission interesting in its own right if that service should be serving a regime that regarded religious freedom as a burr under its saddle. But compromising a small commission might be useful for other reasons, connections to non-governmental organizations, the possibility of being able to pivot from the commission to other more inherently interesting or U.S.-allied agencies, and so on. And finally, operators of industrial control systems get an early stocking stuffer from the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. CISA yesterday released 27 more industrial control system security advisories, which is, seriously, useful and a lot better than a lump of coal. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. There is a continuing push at the federal level to bring government agencies up to speed with their cybersecurity and rare bipartisan agreement that it is indeed a national priority. One of the issues to overcome is inequity between government agencies, leveling the playing field government-wide. Terry Halverson is general manager of IBM Federal and previously was chief information officer for the U.S. Department of Defense. I think you will find some organizations in the federal government that are very advanced in their cybersecurity practices and some that are still working their way to get up to the standard that they want to. And so how do we go about getting them all up to the level where they need to be? What, what needs to be done here? I don't know that I know everything that needs to be done, but I, I would make a couple suggestions, and I think some of these suggestions apply as well to the to commercial sector. I think one of the first ones is you have to take a look at the size of your agency or your organization. And 
determine, am I large enough and can I afford on my own to say, do all of the things that you have to do to have a very good cybersecurity program? And, and I think one of the things that maybe the government might want to look at, and I think Fed commercial agencies might want to also look at that, is sharing some of those responsibilities. I also think that becomes a much more efficient way of doing business. You know, everybody trying to do every part of cybersecurity might not be the best way to do that. This would allow agencies, if they shared, to maybe, you know, form a what I'll call a cyber security coalition, share the expense and probably be able to do a better overall job of executing on their cybersecurity mission. The other thing I'll add is I also think there is a role for industry to play here. Hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about uh, the current administration really calling for industry to, to play a bigger role got CISA really working to reach out to industry to help solve the problems. Because I think if we're going to really get a nation cybersecurity position and really improve that, that it will take cooperation between the government and industry so that we have both a secure government and a secure commercial sector. Let's dig into that some. I mean, can you give us your insights on some of the things that we've seen coming out of the White House when it comes to cybersecurity? Well, I think the first thing that most people look at it is you have is the executive order. You've got, you know, coming from the White House, coming from the president, an executive order that says we're going to do some things, we're going to measure them within cybersecurity. And I think that's that's very good. Some of the things apply just to the government, but some areas, you know, like supply chain apply more broadly to both the commercial and the government sector. And I think that's that's a great start. And I think this administration will look at it as a start and we'll see some continued emphasis in some new areas where it will apply both to the commercial and the government sector. Are you optimistic that we're on the right path here, that, that we're up to this task to be able to take on these challenges? I'm optimistic that we're up to the task. I think we still have more work to do. Like I said, when we started this, I'm very happy that you, in this case, we've got, you know, an administration at up to the president's level that seems to be very interested in making cybersecurity a top priority. From what I have seen, this is an area where they're in one of the few where we have really good bipartisan support in Congress Mm. to make cybersecurity better. And I think... Within the last couple of years, what we have seen is both industry and government recognizing that, yeah, we're going to have to work together to solve this. So I think the environment has come together and I think we have the right timing and the right capabilities to make it work. And we'll have to see if we'll follow through on all that. That's Terry Halverson from IBM Federal. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, 
Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's always great to have you back. Um, You know, I I know there's some research that you are working on. You've been kind of poking around the edges of the, uh, the infamous Great Chinese Firewall to see if you can maybe leverage some of its capabilities there. What have you been up to lately? Yeah, so uh, one thing I observed my home systems. I'm still one of the few people who runs their own mail servers because I don't trust the cloud. And I do see a lot of inbound spam connections from China. I don't normal email from China. I don't like these geo blocks because they're hard to maintain. So I figured, hey, no, let's make the Chinese create firewall work for me here. And I added some keywords to my mail servers banner that are commonly blocked by the uh, Great Chinese Firewall. Hmm. And what happened? Well, the sad part is not much. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so um, my view of the firewall was definitely a little bit too simplistic here. And over the two weeks, I did two weeks without the keywords, two weeks with the keywords, I didn't really see a significant change in the traffic. I still saw the same number of connections, the same number of IP addresses, so uh, it didn't even like one thing I was kind of hoping for that maybe some of those IP addresses that scanned me would get blocked uh, by the great Chinese firewall or maybe my home IP would get blocked, uh, but neither has happened yet. And why do you suppose that is? I mean, are there are, are the spammers coming out of China using their own workarounds to get around the firewall? That could be one option. I'm also thinking that maybe the firewall is a little bit more specific that it doesn't look at these banners, which are usually not used to convey content to an end user, but maybe they're more looking at the email itself. So that's uh, one possible option here. I may have picked the wrong keywords, but I picked keywords that are commonly associated with the firewall. So there are some more or less accurate published lists of these keywords, and I put a bunch of them in, so I probably hit a couple that, that should be blocked. But that's something I'm still working on. Uh, so there's still a little bit of research in progress here. All right. Well, uh, looking forward to checking in with you as you continue that research. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Sagi Sadiq and Nir Ofeld from Wiz. We're discussing their recent Black Hat Europe talk about the need for a cloud vulnerability database. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.